working the pistol. Now Collins stands next to him in the shotgun. Lewerke asks for it and now has it. Lewerke will throw across the middle. Got it complete. Cody Rice behind the Wolverines. He dives. Touchdown, Michigan State. He split the defenders and the Spartans strike first in Ann Arbor. This is Spartan Red Zone, your source for the best MSU and college football analysis, picks, banter, and anything else going on in the college football world. Welcome into the third episode of this season of SRZ. I'm Nathan Stearns, back in the host, Mike, once again, joined alongside by the All-American boy, Zach Serdnick, and the ghost of Aiden Champion. We are going to get right into it here because we have a little bit of a meeting after that. That always seems like how sports radio is. You have a podcast meeting, podcast meeting, game prep meeting. Like, it's just, it's the never-ending world of meetings. Like, I know that, like, every job has meetings, but I think journalists have more meetings than even the people. In fact, journalism, when you think about it, is one giant meeting. That's something to blow your mind. (laughs) I mean, I guess, I guess you have a point because, like, you're setting up interviews for meetings and all that. Those can be considered meetings. So, yeah, I think I think you got a point there. In all seriousness, folks, Michigan State coming off a 42-14 to wire-to-wire win over Youngstown State on Saturday. It's been a long time since 70,000 were inside Spartan Stadium. The official capacity, official game attendance was just a hair over that 70,000-person mark. I am so happy that Michigan State turned on those complimentary drink fountains. Like, I was ranting about that on the way there, on the way back. I was mad because we had to go back and fix the the server room while we're running in suits. I come back and I was about ready, like, one of those things they have in a dealership where it's like that giant quart of water. And then you have, like, those little paper cups. I was going to be the guy who just, like, flipped the little red nozzle and just, like, goes nuts. (laughs) Like, just starts drinking it. Or, like, those people when you go to, like, a Froyo place and there's, like, the little, like, ice cream self-serve machine. And you just put your mouth under and it kind of, like, swirls like a... I don't even know what I can use to describe that. But, um... I think think most people can picture it, although... Uh, they couldn't see your finger going around in circles here in the studio. But yeah, I was going to say something about uh, they needed to do it so that way you can uh, refresh yourself after we had to sprint across campus back and forth in our suits on I'm Saturday morning. Sprint across campus might be a little bit of a misnomer. Like, we're not running from Acres to Rather because yeah, you would have no, 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 no. had to call Sparrow right, not and all... <laughs> I would have had an asthma not all the way across the way campus. There. Probably what, half mile? Ah, maybe, maybe. If I that, mean, the good thing is that's in South Neighborhood. The station's right. in South Neighborhood. The spark, the southern end zone part of it, where actually we have to check in. It's nice. Right. Yeah, it's exactly. in the southern part. It's not the northern part out by Wells, where you have to then run all, you know, across the other way into the mass of humanity. But <laughs> I was telling Zach this, and I think he finally realizes standing in the north end zone. It doesn't matter if there are fans there or not. It's beautiful. Like you look up and it's a it's an actual college football stadium. It's not what whatever Ryan Field is with all twenty five thousand people. I know that's unfair. I know they have about forty five thousand people, but you just look up and you're like, how many people ever get to be field level at Michigan State? Like how many people are actually going to be able to walk on the same turf that Elijah Collins and Ladarius Jefferson and all these guys? I don't know why I said a Ladarius <laughs> Jefferson. I was thinking L.J. Scott, but I think I'm a I have a Ladarius Jefferson man crush after the Paul Bunyan pose and then proceeding to get run off the field. I was going to say they got destroyed after he did that against Michigan. No, but for a five for a five second clip, it was the greatest moment in college, <laughs> especially because at that point they were tied, right? It was, I, seven, it to was seven. seven seven. Yeah, after Michigan scored, they come back and then, you know, the, the route was on in Ann Arbor as it so often is when Michigan plays at Max School. How about them ducks? Oregon goes into the shoe, knocks off Ohio State 35 to 28. At the time, Oregon was the number 12th ranked team in the country. Oregon they were the number 12. Ohio State was the number third ranked team. Now I know it was after the AP poll. I think Oregon's three or they four. They're four, four and Ohio State's nine. I know it. Sometimes varies, you know, between different polls. But C.J. Verdell was a monster. Oregon halfback, 20 rushes, 161 yards, two scores. It just amazes me that someone like C.J. Stroud can throw for 500 yards, four scores, and still lose. Like, I think we saw it against Minnesota. That Ohio State defense is what's going to bury them if they can't go to where they want to go. And not only still lose, lose and have people calling for his job. Like, you have no idea how many people... We're saying that Ohio State needs to switch quarterbacks after that game. Yeah, like, it was bad. Like, Stroud, as you said, almost 500 yards passing, four touchdowns. They lose the game, and people think the problem is 
the quarterback. And that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, no, I, man, that, uh, people just want to go after everybody. Like, don't get me wrong. I want to go after people as much as the next guy. I was about ready to throw my remote at the TV, remote at the TV, watching Pat Fline get his butt kicked by Quinn and Williams every single snap. Like, okay, we're, we're on roller skates every single time we pass it. This is what we're going to be doing today. Great, but no, he's the last guy you can blame. Oklahoma doing unspeakable things to Western Carolina, winning 76 nothing. I put unspeakable things. Yeah, I was, I was, was going to say, journalism's one of those professions where you actually need, need to know how to spell, so already 0 for 1 today. But. I was looking at the document uh, when we were right about to get started, and I was like, I think he means unspeakable, but he might be just like... Trying to come up with a word to describe it because you really can't if you're Western Carolina. That's just tough. It was like that. What year was it when Michigan beat Rutgers seventy eight to oh nothing in Piscataway? And they like faked 20... they faked the extra point of forty one nothing. I was like, bro, why? Like they're already dead. Stop it. Spencer Rattler, my Heisman Trophy pick, is an efficient twenty of twenty six, two hundred forty three yards and five scores. What do you tell your team if you're the head coach of Western Carolina? Knowing full, and this is before the game, what do you tell, oh, go out and compete, guys? Yeah, if we lose by 35, I'm going to be happy and you're all going to get ice creams, but if we lose by 40, no Italian ice. Like, what do you, I always wonder what a coach tells that guy. Like, players aren't stupid. Like, they know they're going to go out there for the sole reason so they can get the check to keep the athletic department alive. Like, I would hate that if I was a coach. Yeah, guys, uh... Happy to see you all today. We're going to lose by 40. It's going to be very ugly, and I can't wait to see Oklahoma's four stringers kicking our one stringers butt. But other than that, have a great day. Yeah, I mean, I think it's got to be something about competing, as you said, and just trying to compete. But a lot of things is I think it's you tell players that this is their chance to shine on the national stage because you're playing a top team like that. And a lot of guys that go to schools like that are looking to transfer to somewhere higher. And so you tell them that that's your chance. Obviously, Western Carolina didn't really take much advantage of that chance because they lost 76-0, to but the point remains. I was just an ugly, ugly game. Because what game was it when Shabbat, was it Auburn who won 62 to nothing or mm-hmm. when he was ranting on Green yeah, and White when, and goes, yeah. what do you get? I'm like, if you think that's bad, wait till I throw this Oklahoma right, numbers yeah. after you. And then the, the look on his face was, what? What's going on? What's yeah. going on? And we'll get into this game, obviously, more later. Miami barely squeaks out a win over Appalachian State, took a late field goal to get that win in the column for Miami. Um, Just as a little preview, they don't look like a ranked team right now. That looks like a very winnable game, but we will obviously go into that later. But first, we'd be remiss if we didn't spend a little bit of time talking about the dominating, and that's the correct word, dominating Michigan State versus Youngstown State. Game Michigan State jumps out to a 28 point lead coast to the 42 to 14 win again rotating in over 20 offensive players over 20 defensive players Peyton Thorne was unconscious 15 to 21 for 280 yards four passing scores and one rushing score and then obviously Jaden Reed the story of the game four receptions for 181 yards and two long scores the first of which was a flea flicker again on the first play of the game on the first offensive play from scrimmage if you don't count the kickoff it was kenneth walker who looked like he was going to run right behind matt allen and jd to play flicks it back to thorn and then thorn throws it on the money to read 50 yards down the field i know that it's youngstown state and i know that they're not a particularly good fcs school a la going one and six last year but regardless of the fact it's been a long time you since you've seen a michigan state offense not shrink down to the level of their competition. I think that was the biggest thing, Zach, that you and I talked about. It's not about what Youngstown State does. Good teams don't play Youngstown State on their own ground. They did exactly what they had to do. And that there wasn't anything fancy about that game. I mean, the first play was, but Peyton Thorne, last week you saw the deep ball accuracy you saw the increase in connection with him and reed those two i think are going to be one of the best quarterback receiving pairings here in a very little bit in the conference yeah and it gets i think over talked about with his connection to him from high school and growing up together but it is still something that you need to touch on because that does make a big difference those guys know where each other's going to be at all times on those routes And Peyton Thorne 
made some really nice throws. I was impressed with the deep ball on the flea flicker, but not near as much as I was impressed on his other touchdown pass to Reed, where he dropped a ball in between a linebacker and a safety right on the money to Reed, who turned it on, had one of the top five sprint speeds of any player in the country last season or last week excuse me, over 20 mile an hour top speed on that play where he was running away from defenders down that line. And Jaden Reed was solid. I thought Peyton Thorne was really good as well. Well, the biggest thing for me, we talked about Thorne that first week against Northwestern doing exactly what you had to do not to lose the game. Mm -hmm. You gave the ball to Kenneth Walker. You gave the ball to Trey Mosley. You did a good job spreading the ball around, throwing it to Jordan Simmons. This game, you threw it to Elijah Collins. This game, he proved that he can win you games. It doesn't matter that he's in the pocket and he has time to throw. It doesn't matter that, you know, he's not being flushed out of the pocket. The bottom line is, especially that second touchdown throw, they're more toward, if memory serves, they were more toward the far sideline. He's throwing it and Reed's running away from him and he has to throw it over the trailing cornerback and there was also a safety on the other side. I mean, that was a beautiful throw on the run. If he underthrows that ball just a little bit, the corner's going to get there and knock it down or intercept it. Yeah, and he made... Really nice plays, made a really nice throw. His last throw of the game, I talked about this on Green and White Report, but his last throw of the game was the most impressive to me. And it wasn't the most physically impressive. It just was the play that showed me why he won the job, in my opinion. That's my best guess. A blitz is coming from the left side. Cornerback blitz coming in. And Thorne sees the blitz, doesn't panic, doesn't move out of the pocket, stands his ground, but doesn't panic and force a throw. He takes his time, looks off the safety, and fires a dart to Jalen Naylor in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. I just, it's been so long, and I know, you know, we're kind of, we keep going around in circles with this, but it's early. It's two games. But through two games, and frankly, I'd say through three games going to last year, Michigan State looks like they found themselves a good quarterback. Not saying he's going to be Kirk Cousins. Not saying he's going to be... That's so, who D'Antonio thought he was when he recruited him. D'Antonio made Mark, a lot of comparisons to Mark, Kirk Cousins. Mark thought a lot of things that I don't understand, like why Matt Carrick should be playing constantly, consistently. Carrick has no been rotation. solid this year. He's don't, been better. Give Carrick his give, credit. I will give him credit, but he's still not starting. I still He's been decent, but I still think Kevin Jarvis is better on the right side. Yeah. With that have... being said, that Michigan State offensive line has been something else. You can't run that well. Two games in a row, obviously, Kenneth Walker with the 264 rushing yards, 23 carries. Jordan Simmons has 121 rushing yards. Elijah Collins is going up and down the field. Even Donovan Eaglin looked good the last <laughs> drive. I don't know what he had, 33 rushing yards and... And three carries or so. Yeah, and, and one in that one series. But I don't care who it's against. We've been saying for so long... You guys are all 300-plus pounds. Stop getting pushed into the backfield and stop playing on roller skates against guys that are 270 pounds. They are moving people. Blake Buter is playing better than I've ever seen him. Luke Campbell is playing better than I've ever seen him. The only guy who needs to work on his technique a little bit more is Jarrett Horst. Gotta stop holding people. Can't have two I holds in a row because that killed that drive in the second quarter. It did, and I re-watching re the game, the second hold on Horst was the one that really caught me because it was unnecessary. The first one, he did it to save a 12-yard sack, which I can kind of understand because second and 22 is not as or is worse than first and 20. But the second one, the ball was already out and it was way downfield and it was more similar to what we had at Northwestern where it was an after the play type penalty there and it just was over aggression and that's something that I think he's going to have to kind of thin out as he goes forward, but he has been a difference maker on this offensive line. Yeah, shout out Pat F-Line. Same thing. Screen pass over to McCaffrey. It's going to get 15 yards. Nope, let's hold the guy on the other side of the field. Got to get our Panthers talking. What? So got to get our Panthers talking. Yeah, we do. We do. See, this is the great thing. This is the great thing with SRZ. I'm expanding the reaches of SRZ to the far corners of the globe. We'll be talking about, so, I'm trying to think of a Japanese baseball team that I can't think of right now. I'm like, next week we're going to have go a Korean baseball, go to the NC Dinos. Yes, NC Dino's talk next week. <laughs> yes, sir. It really interested me, and I put this here because I know PFF isn't the 
end all be all for rating players. I know PFF has its holds because you have guys that aren't in the building grading scheme, grading blocks, grading how deep you get on your routes. If you're a corner grading on how well you tackle, how well you sit on top of a route. But at the end of the day, I like it not only for college ratings and professional ratings because it gives you a baseline one and it really is the only composite rating system that you have that consistently rates everyone. And it's not perfect, but it's pretty good. There's really nothing else that's better. Yeah. Through two games, Xavier Henderson, the number one overall grade safety-wise in the country with a grade of 86.7. Cal Holiday, 82.9, seventh best mark in the country. Quavaris Crouch's pass rush gate of 91.8 is one of the five best marks in the country for his position. Kenneth Walker, 88.7. Seventh best grade in the country. The overall team grade is the 14th highest in the country. And last week, going off strictly offensive line, Michigan State had the second highest grade as a unit last week in the country. I mean, is it too early to get excited? Is it too early to start saying, okay, there, there's something going on a little bit here that we haven't seen in a long time. I don't care that it's an FCS opponent. A year ago, they couldn't move Barbara Scotia University, which for those of you who don't know, is a bankrupt university in Concord, North Carolina, the Sabretooths. See, I I thought you were making up a university. If no, we're being it is honest. a real university, uh, Barbara Scotia University. But um, no, I would agree that I think there is something we haven't seen in a while. And I think you talk about this is just beating up an FCS opponent. You realize they beat up a Big Ten opponent last week. Like, the not this past Saturday, but the week before. They went down to Evanston and slaughtered Northwestern. And so... I told you it, it was real. A univers- you didn't believe me. real university. It is a real... It's an uh, unaccredited but, university, which makes it even better. But no... Um, They went down and beat up on Northwestern a couple weeks ago as well. So I think there is something we haven't seen here, but, and I'll give a but, I'm not nowhere near ready for Shabbat. If you didn't listen to Green and White Report, go listen to that. You can find it wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can also find Green and White Report. But That was horrible. Shabbat said that he thinks this Michigan State team, if they can beat Miami, might be able to make a playoff run. And that is way, 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 I can't say how many ways too early to make anywhere near a claim like that. Well, it is, and it's also worth understanding that the last 85 years, there's been Ohio State, a 600-mile golf, and then everybody else. But I don't think it's as big this year. But I don't I think don't it's think, as big, but there's still— I also don't think Michigan State— It might Michigan not be State, a 600-mile golf. It might be a 300-mile golf, but it's still a pretty big, yeah. you know. And I also don't think that Michigan State is the next best team no, in that no, thing. No, 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 I think no, you've got Iowa that's going to be up there. Penn State, maybe. I'm not sure. It's really early. So we'll have to see. I think if Michigan State does beat Miami, though, it opens the door for them to potentially compete towards the top half of that. Let my love open the door. Open the door. Let my love open the door. <laughs> that's As soon as you said that, that's what I started thinking of. But, um, yeah, see, this is what I do. This is what you have to do as a podcast host. You have 15 minutes of, like, severe, of, of serious and analysis and then you have five ten seconds of just being a complete idiot oh they all come for this this is what we always do here but at the end of the day i just the there's not a lot i can complain about and those of you who ever have heard me talk about anything know i can get mad at just about anything like i during the dark ages of Michigan State football, one of the first articles I ever wrote, because back in the day when we covered football games, you'd have two broadcasters and you'd have two or three writing pieces. It just depended. It was during the dark ages of Michigan State football. And I think the the first article I wrote, it was that 28 to 7 Penn State game that I touched on. Um, Penn State was a top 10 team. They might've been a top five team. It was a gross, cold, overcast game. It was just a really depressing game for it to be your first game in the press box. First column I wrote, was Mark D'Antonio needs to be fired. First mm. column I wrote at the station was Bill France, who I don't believe is NASCAR's president anymore, but was at the time, needs to be fired. But I'm not a cynic. I'm not a pessimist. And I can't give anything but kudos to this Michigan State team. I would have never thought that Kyle Holiday would be as good as he is right now. This is a guy who I had... Maybe on the 40, you know, if that's even a thing, is a special teams guy. Even though Xavier Henderson has always been a good safety, he's playing like a great safety. That interception he had 
was one of the best catches I've ever seen in person. That was Odell Beckham-esque. He's being more of a leader. You're seeing him get to the ball just a split second quicker, whether it's in the box, whether it's deep in coverage. He's always been a good in-the-box player. He's always been a good run support safety, but where he struggled a bit at times is when he has to go back deep and almost play center field. Kenneth Walker doesn't play much. Seven carries for 57 yards and a touchdown. Very efficient. The one thing, though, that, you know, was was quite upsetting, I think, for anybody who knows anything about Michigan State football was Elijah Collins. After, uh, what, what, what drive, that was in the, was it the second quarter or the third? It was the late second yeah, quarter because that was the drive, it was their last touchdown right before the half. Yes, and for those of you who don't know, Youngstown State had run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, scores the touchdown, game goes to, it was 28-7 to at the time, Michigan State just hands the ball off to Elijah Collins. And then they get him on a screen pass. He gets, you know, behind his big hog molly, scores that receiving touchdown, actually the first receiving touchdown of his career. Then we don't see him anymore. And it later comes down from other reporters and on Twitter that he had left the game in street clothes and then was in a walking boot on the sideline. And we saw him after the game in a walking boot. So I don't think you're going to see him this week. And that's just a backbreaker for a guy who's doing everything he can to get back into the rotation. Him not playing right now is not an indictment against him. Bottom line is Michigan State's running back room, especially with Kenneth Walker and what Jordan Simmons has shown, is really deep. Yeah, I mean, those guys, at the beginning of the year, they said that they felt like they had five guys that could consistently play. And they showed that. That was something that I kind of thought was just like, Face value. They also said they had five guys that they could play at linebacker. Guess what? They've played five guys consistently at linebacker. Stop saying five guys. I want to get something to eat now. I'm running on two cans of soup. I want five guys. Oh, wait, no, they have peanuts everywhere. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> I don't want five guys anymore. Rest in peace, Nathan Stearns. Anyways, um, yeah, so I think that the depth on this Michigan State team is definitely showing early, and I think that is... We're going to get into this more later, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, but I think that's what might give them a slight advantage this weekend. Big, 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 big game upcoming is Michigan State travels down to Hard Rock Stadium in beautiful Miami to take on the Miami Hurricanes. We will get into that a little bit later, but for those of you who don't know, Zach and I will be on the call for that game. Impact 88.9 FM WDBM. We are looking forward to going down to Hard Rock. Uh, it will be the first away football game. No. Well, what, why am I saying? So we went to Northwestern two weeks ago. I think I just tried to blot that thing out from my mind. But transitioning into a little bit of some brief Big Ten talk. Ohio State obviously loses to Oregon at home 35-28. to That was the big story because a lot of these other games just stunk. Like week two and then week three to a lesser extent, you'll have a couple of really good games and then you'll have a lot of just like Alabama playing Mercer or Indiana playing Idaho or Maryland who always seems to beat Howard 65 to nothing. Like when you are a on the edge consistently of being a bowl team, not a bowl team. You always have to schedule in that one FCS opponent because the NCAA allows you to schedule that one FCS team to count toward that, to count toward that six win allotment. So it's normally either week two or week three when you see those teams sort of slotted in, but Wisconsin cruises over Eastern Michigan, 34 to seven, just missed covering, just missed by this. I think it was by, I think the line was 24, 25, something like that. And Eastern loses by 27. Iowa dispatches Iowa State. Maryland kills Howard. Penn State kills Ball State 44-13. to I Indiana kills Idaho. And then a bunch of other games that I didn't care enough to put on here. Because with all due respect, I don't think anybody's going to lose much sleep about how Rutgers is doing. Or about how some of these other teams are doing. Now we get into my favorite part of the game. The SRZ. I, I, I didn't change this from last week. Probably should have. You know what we're gonna do? The SRZ Dave Warner Offensive Player of the Week. I gotta go. I gotta go off the top of my head here. I went with Spencer Rattler. I know that's sort of a fanboy pick, but it's so effortless with this kid. Like, what? It's like, how do you do the things that you do? I know it's the Western Carolina Catamounts. Believe me, I'm from North Carolina. I know very. I know a lot about Western Carolina. No, not really. I know. I. People who know me say I talk about North Carolina way too much. But anyway, I picked Spencer Rattler just because 
it just, this is the second week in a row where the kid looks like he's only given 65%. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it like he hasn't really had to strain himself because they're going against lesser competition and you're still putting up 50 or 60. I think if he has another couple games like this, he's already going to be the runaway Heisman Trophy favorite. He has to be. I would agree, and I think it's partially because Oklahoma's schedule is, um, as someone put it, Charmin soft uh, this season. The Big 12 is not that good. They aren't going to have to play that much. He's going to be able to put up really gaudy numbers. Those Charmin commercials are so creepy. I hate the (laughs) with the little red bears running around, like, oh, oh, man, those are weird. I don't know. I'm a... I don't know what kind of, I'm a, I'm a Donnie man. Wait, no, that's the dish soap. Yeah, we'll move on to something else. I, I got to think of what toilet paper brand I like. Yeah, so for me, I picked Peyton Thorne. It's an easy one. We already talked about it, but some of the throws that he made were really impressive and just an efficient day, but five total touchdowns and you, not many quarterbacks are able to do that or players in general. So you're going to do what Aiden's doing. Just shrink it all to East Lansing. Is that what we're doing now? We're no, just wait for the just wait for the powerhouse frame unit of the week. Then we get outside of East Lansing. Oh, you can see it on oh, the dock. <laughs> ooh, you're going there. You're one of those guys. Yeah, I'm going to go there. Brian Kelly, defensive player of the week. I'm going to keep putting Brian Kelly on here until he proves that he can adequately coach a game. The fact that it, they were this close, like a thumbtack close, the length of a thumbtack to losing to Toledo. Toledo's traditionally a decent max school, but man, they, oh man, I was hoping is so this the next, bad. uh Is this the next Nathan Stearns needs to be fired column? No. Brian Kelly no, needs to be fired? Yet. I mean, it. see, this is what kills me though. Everybody calling for Brian Kelly to be fired. You're perennially the fourth best team, fifth best team in college football. Who's going to make you better? I don't think there's any coach in the country who's going to be able to make you on the same level as as Dabo and as Nick. I don't think there is. Like, you have to be content to say, you know what? Everybody can't be number one. There's a lot of schools who'd like to be in the top ten. If Mel Tucker did what Bo Pelini did every year at Nebraska, I was talking with with our sports director, Luke Sloan, about this. Bo Pelini was a 9-10 win guy every year at Nebraska. Occasionally eight wins. They were always a solid football team, a better Big Ten team. Never, I don't know, at the time, what, you had 14 teams, so you're probably the fifth or sixth best team. That's not bad. In fact, that's quite good. And then what happens? You get too big for your britches, you fire the guy, and you're left picking up the pieces of your program. So sometimes you bite off more than you can chew. So no, I don't think he needs to be fired. Like, Mel Tucker was an eight-win coach every year, seven-eight-win coach. I think he could retire here until he dies. Because that's why Michigan State's traditionally bad. Um... But I picked Cal Holiday for my defensive player of the week only because it's sort of a heartwarming story. The guy's a low st- three-star recruit. Like, I, I'm going to actually pull up his recruiting pro- profile right now. But this wasn't a highly recruited guy. This wasn't Ote Ote coming in. Yeah, 85.47 composite rating on 247 Sports, which... For all the all those of you who don't know, it's a mid three star recruit, which basically means they they'll contribute at some power five schools, but the vast majority of the time they're not going to light the world on fire. He was offered by Nebraska and Monmouth. He was offered by Michigan, but UMass, Fordham, Buffalo, Army. So take Michigan and Nebraska, and it's a bunch of FCS schools in Pittsburgh. Um, but the fact that he's graded out so well. And he's just come from nowhere. Him and Jeff Petrosky, too. Jeff Petrosky's played very, very well. But I just, I don't know what they saw in this kid. But whatever they saw, he's a redshirt freshman. I mean, this is a guy you're going to be talking about for the next three years. And granted, he's going to have to play a much better team with Miami coming up and a more of a dual threat quarterback and just a great core of offensive weapons. But for the first two weeks, he's been a tackling machine. He's fundamentally sound. He gets the defense in the right place. And that's not a D de- that's not an easy defense to learn. You're not running a traditional four, three, you're running a four, two, five with a wrinkle, this and a wrinkle that. And you also got to remember Michigan state's head coach who was a defensive coordinator in the NFL at three, three, two or three different spots was an interim head coach. It's been a DC at Ohio state, been a DC at Georgia. So he's been everywhere. Michigan State runs one of the most complex defensive schemes in the country. So I, I have got to tip my hat to Cal Holiday. He's been a huge surprise, not just for Michigan State, but in the entire Big Ten. Yeah. Um, Holiday was 
somebody that wasn't really expected to play that much this year and has been really good. I'm going to go with, I'm going to stick it to East Lansing. And I'm going to go with a player we already talked about, but it's not the player. It is specifically one play. And it is Xavier Henderson's one-handed catch. That, that interception that was, was phenomenal. Well, and it, it like I as I'm going back and watching it, he's kind of sitting in the deep third of the field. Michigan State, this is where I get a little schematically inclined. They run more of like a cover two scheme, which basically means the safeties aren't responsible for a specific guy. It's not like I'm backing up Angelo Gross and I'm guarding the X receiver. It's more of what you would call the deep half or the deep third. So if someone comes within my area, I have to get him. If someone comes within my area, I have to get him. Same thing with the linebackers. If you have a guy, a running back, running a wheel route outside of the field, sometimes the linebacker is going to be on him. But more often than not, you do is what called you pass it off. So let's say you got a guy running a crossing route over the middle of the field. You might see the corner pass it off to the middle linebacker who passes it off to the safety, just depending on where they're all lined up. So that specific interception that he made, he's kind of sitting on the deep third. So his job basically is to cover, to act as a center fielder and try to track down whether he has to go to the left or to the right. He has the freedom to go either way. And, you know, and provide safety help over the top. But that one-handed grab, he, as soon as that ball was thrown, he read it. It was a little bit over underthrown by Demetri Crenshaw, who, my God, had a rough game. I got to go on my little Youngstown State rant here. No offense to the Penguins. Like, I, I respect what they do from a rushing aspect with Christian Turner and Jaleel McLaughlin and Crenshaw, who's a decent dual threat quarterback, but you cannot win in college football when you go 10 to 23 for 81 yards. When your quarterback in the last two weeks has failed to throw for over 115 yards. I mean, they run like one of the most 1970s-esque offenses. It hurts my head. The When you're running short slants and the throw's either over here, over here, over here, and it's dropped... You got to open up the playbook a little bit. I know you're not working with the same resources that Michigan State is, but we were doing more than what they do in high school. We ran digs, we ran posts, we ran slants, we ran the whole nine yards. You know, we would have trips to the left, trips to the right. I didn't see one bunch formation with a three wide set the entire game. So I just, that, that was a painful game to watch if you hit like any sort of offensive execution or if you're a Youngstown State fan. Yeah. With it, with that being said, I know I'm kind of blathering incessantly here. You pick Xavier Henderson for the Joey Ellis Memorial Powerhouse Frame Unit of the Week. I'm going with Chris Creighton for getting a five-year extension. And this is a bit of a hometown favorite for me just because I grew up about anybody who's from the Washtenaw, Ann Arbor area knows Eastern Michigan and U of M are only about 15 minutes away from each other. They're quite close. And Chris Crane has turned Eastern Michigan, which at one time was maybe the worst football program in all of Division One. They were so, so bad. And you don't realize how bad they are unless you were close enough to hear it in the media. Like, you get outside and you get toward Detroit or you get toward Jackson, nobody cares anymore. But since he's gotten hired, he's made them respectable again. You've gone from winning one to two games every year consistently to winning seven games, to winning six games. I know he hasn't won a bowl game yet, but he deserved, he's actually a guy, I came on SRZ after Mark D'Antonio revealed he was going to quit, and people were considering Mel Tucker, Luke Fickle, Brett Bielema, I wanted Creighton, because when you immediately up a program that's been dog crap, and you go to more bowl games in a four-year span than the program has in a previous 50-year span, there's some talent there. So big props to Creighton. I think he's one of the most underrated coaches in all of college football because people don't understand how bad of a job that was. And they're back to respectability again. They're never going to be an elite program, but what they are going to be under him is a 6-7 win team every year that goes to somewhere like the Quick Lane Bowl and battles Pittsburgh tooth and nail. There's something to be said about that. That there is. My powerhouse frame of the week is... New USC head coach Urban Meyer. No, Urban Meyer will probably not be the next head coach, but I'm enjoying the memes and everything everybody's making about it. I do kind of feel bad for uh, Clay Helton there. Um, I almost put a Clay Helton joke in there instead, but um, I mean, 
their motto is fight on, and uh, the fight is over for Clay Helton after two weeks of this season. Yeah, that was, they got rid of him awfully, awfully quickly. This and they were ranked. Uh, yeah, I know, but that's one of those jobs where, especially the USC donors, we play in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 isn't primarily very good, but it's like, you fired a guy who won a Rose Bowl with you, who went to the Cotton Bowl, who had a 36 and 13 record, who went 46 and 24. Like, you better be pretty careful that you can find a guy better than that. Because I know USC isn't the behemoth that it used to be, but you're firing a guy who once every other year is going to get you 10 wins. And that's not a, that's a thing. Not a lot of programs can say, but it's the same thing with Michigan. When you get, when you take over a program like that, you are hired with the caveat of you're either going to be contending for a national championship, contending for a college football playoff berth, winning the Pac-12 every year, or you're going to be gone in three, four years. That's just how it is. And that's how demanding these jobs are these days, these high-profile positions. Yeah, and I did see a report earlier today that said that there was mutual interest between James Franklin and USC I heard Eric about Bien-Ami that potential too. job. That was another guy I heard. I heard the Ooh. report by, Sch- well, Schefter saying Eric Bieniemy might have been interested. Ooh, in that. that might be interesting too. Like, how has this guy not been hired? That's yeah, my question. Agreed. Like, how, oh my, like, some of the guy, like, Nick Sirianni, or what's the, why can I not think of the Giants coach? Something that the, oh, what is it? Joe Judge. Like, oh yeah, the Pats special teams coach. Let's not get the offensive coordinator of one of the best offensive teams over a three-year span in NFL history. I know Andy Reid has an influence on that offense, but the bottom line is Eric Bieniemy deserves to be a head coach in this league, and anybody who doesn't think so is an idiot. With that being said, this week in the Big Ten, Maryland travels to Illinois on Friday. I think Maryland mops the floor with the fighting line. An interesting game is Cincinnati travels to Indiana at Memorial Stadium. MSU heading out to Miami, who's still inexplicably ranked. Nebraska travels out to Norman to take on Oklahoma. That's going to be an ugly game. A really ugly game. Northern Illinois travels to the big house to take on Michigan in the Rocky Lombardi annual revenge tour. Minnesota travels to Colorado. Purdue goes on to the road to Notre Dame, which could be a sneaky, interesting game. Delaware heads out to Rutgers. Kent State goes to Iowa. Tulsa travels to Ohio State. Northwestern travels to Duke in the battle between two mediocre Power 5 schools. And Auburn travels to Penn State. So basically... With the exception of Nebraska and Michigan State and Maryland, every other Big Ten team's at home. Like, there's only three Big Ten teams for my count that are on the road. Michigan State is one of them. But now we get into the coup de grace of the podcast. Talking a little bit about the Miami Hurricanes and Michigan State's challenge. And I will go first, sec before I kick it to you because I'm on a roll right now. And I don't All want right, the wind. Go ahead. I don't want the wind to go out Love of my sails a little bit. I said this last week, and I'm going to say it this week. This is the first real litmus test for Mel Tucker. Last year didn't count. Just because if you would have thrown anybody into that same boat, they would have sunk. It was the equivalent of throwing, as dark as this sounds, You would. it would be the equivalent of having a 500-pound hamburger and telling Joey Chestnut, go eat it. He might be able to get, I don't know, 5, 10 pounds. Nobody's going to be able to eat that 500-pound hamburger. Just because it's not humanely possible with the extraordinary circumstances. I was actually going to go in a different direction, but I'm, I'm not going to. Um, the bottom line is this is an ABC game. This is a Joe Tessitore game. This is a game where if you win, you are going to be ranked. And say what you want about Miami, this is a ranked opponent. This is a ranked opponent, not near your stadium at all. This isn't going down to Michigan. This is a 1,000-mile-away flight. During the school year, your first truly tough game your first true road game you had what a 50 50 even split at ryan field this is your first game where you can go okay this is going to be a hard game at the end of the day miami is still miami miami's still a ranked team miami's still an eight win team from last year they are a good acc school they are one of the better acc schools so for me i'm not even going to say michigan state has to win this game because they don't what you can't do is go out there and look like a deer in headlights. What you can't do is go out there and look like the first two weeks never happened. And you revert to last year's form. Because at that point, with the na- nobody's paying attention to Michigan State right now in the national media. 
Because, let's be honest, ABC is going to attract a little bit more of a national viewer base than BTN is. But if you go down there and lay an egg, it's not good for you. It's not good for your perception. You have a chance, maybe better than any other chance this year, to say, you know what? We're going to show the entire Big Ten and the entire country where Michigan State football is headed, why you should schedule Michigan State football, why we're going to be at the height that we were under Mark D'Antonio four or five years back. So this, for me, is a game where you cannot lay an egg. Like, if you go out there and you lose 34-3, to um, you're going to have some problems. Agreed. I think Michigan State's going to have to come at them quick, but I think that there's there's some chances where Michigan State has some advantages. Michigan State's run game is something that looks real in two weeks, and Miami has struggled against the run, especially in terms of injuries as well, because Keontra Smith is out for the next month or so with a injury. I don't remember exactly what it was, and I don't want to speculate and be wrong about that, but that's their starting middle linebacker or starting linebacker. And when you're losing a linebacker and you were already struggling against the run, and you've got a guy like Kenneth Walker coming in, Kenneth Walker is not better than the Alabama running backs. Kenneth Walker is much better than the running backs at Appalachian State. Agreed. And, I mean, Deira King's been pedestrian this year. I mean, just just looking at the overall stat line, again, these are surface-level stats, but 43, and this is in two games, 43 and 63, 375 yards, a 68% completion percentage, but his average yardage when he's completing passes is only six yards a game, or six yards uh, per attempt. One touchdown, 200, he's already been sacked six times too. That's another thing. That Miami offensive line has been leaky, very leaky through two weeks. And if you get Drew Jordan back, if you get Drew Beasley back, which sounds like a Tavion Brown's not going to be back. If you can even get one or two of those guys back, you're going to have a shot. Cameron Harris comes into the game, Miami's leading rusher. 30 carries, 128 yards, one touchdown. Keyshawn Smith, eight receptions, 110 yards in two games. There's not been a lot of Miami weapons. I mean, they have a good complementary core, but it's like there isn't one guy that you go game wrecker. It's just a bunch of decent players, but there's not a true number one wide receiver. There hasn't been a true rushing attack all game because at the end of the day, they haven't played a good game yet this year. They've yeah. had two games where it's like, oh boy, they're just kind of just kind of going through the motions, so to speak. Yeah, I would say I think that the keys for both sides are going to be the linebackers. I think that the linebacking core for Miami is going to have to really improve if they want to stop Michigan State's rushing attack. And Manny Diaz made a point to mention Kenneth Walker, but he seemed like they were really focusing on Peyton Thorne in his press conference. And if they're not ready for Kenneth Walker and this Michigan State rushing attack, Goodbye. they're going to be in big trouble. Yeah. Well, and then you have Jordan Simmons the coming off the right, bench exactly. in other situations. The linebacker like situation for Miami is going to have to be a big part of that because linebackers are very important in stopping the run, flowing to where the ball is, flowing yes. to that. Michigan State at linebacker is going to be huge as well. Because you have to not only stop Cameron Harris, who's been solid, 30 carries, 128 yards, okay, two scores. Yeah, mediocre. But, but more importantly, you're going to have to contain De'Eric King as well as coverage. And that's something that is going to be on those linebackers. The starters in the first two games were Cal Holiday and Kovaris Crouch. But we've also seen Ben Van Sumeren rotate in. We've Chase seen Klein, Chase Noah Klein. Harvey, we've seen Noah Harvey. Yeah. Those guys are going to have to contain King. That's where the key in this game lies for me. And it's not even about containing him. You're going to get pressure. I'm confident Michigan State's going to get pressure. They get pressure against everybody. My biggest thing is what happens when he's flushed out of the pocket? What happens when he goes on the run? Because if you drop everybody, if it's third and 12, you drop everybody back, you play a deep zone, almost cover three-esque, and you don't have a linebacker in the middle of the field to stop him, He's going to run for 15 yards every time. You almost have to put a spy on him. That's basically going to say wherever he goes, you follow him. And if you get run out of position, you get run out of position. But this is a guy who is maybe more so than any other Michigan State, any quarterback Michigan State's going to face this year, it's going to try to make plays happen with his legs. He's proven that he can make plays happen with his legs. And more importantly, he's shown that when he can't make plays happen with his legs, he's prone to making big mistakes. 
Agreed. And that's something that Michigan State's going to have to take advantage of. This is a game that I really am not sure what's going to happen here. And I, I. I will talk Neither about it in I. the pickums, but I could see this game being really close. I could also see Michigan State coming out and thumping Miami, hitting them in the mouth early, just like they have their last two games. Or I could see De'Eric King run all over them and Michigan State come back to earth. I was going to ask if you could whatever, where it's like, oh, wow, we're... This is what it feels like to actually have people expecting something of us, and then you go and you curl back in the fetal position. Right, I can exactly. See that we'll see. Too. I don't know that it will. I I think that's not as likely as people think. A lot of people have been kind of scarred emotionally and expect that to happen right now. But I don't know that I think that that's very likely. I think that this game's probably going to be pretty close, and I'll touch on, on that again in the pick'em. Um, with it looks like an eight-point spread. Yeah, it's a big um, spread. Yeah. I'll touch on that when we get to it in just a minute, but. Yeah, I think that this game's either going to be close or I think that Michigan State might pull away. Here's the biggest thing for me. It's early. We're in week three, but I'm going to make this claim right now. You win this game, you're going to a bowl game. You have... Yeah, probably. uh, How do I... I don't want to say almost assured yourself because that's a dangerous line. Yeah, very dangerous line. you're already halfway there. That's two games now that I put in my sort of toss-up column. I didn't even have Miami in this toss-up game before the season. I, I only did because I didn't know and now how I healthy do. Derek King because was. Because I didn't think that... I thought Miami was going to smoke Michigan State this week. I also, but, but I, mean, I did not have... No. My expectations for Michigan State were not that high coming into the season. They were solid, but they were not that high. If Michigan State wins this game, they really set themselves up in a spot where they could potentially be looking at a... Going Eight down to nine Indiana 5-0 and Piscataway. Yeah, that road yeah. trip when you start conference There play. is a five-game section of this schedule that will decide Michigan State's fate. You have at Rutgers, at Indiana, home against Michigan, Purdue, and Maryland. Yeah. That five-game stretch will decide the season because before that, you've got what Nebraska and Western Kentucky, who you should take a biz- care of business against. And then after that, you have Ohio State, Penn State. But those five games in between, all five of those games are toss-up games in my mind. Yeah, And those are games that are going to be very, very interesting to keep an eye on if you're it's Michigan State It's the difference State between fan. a 5-7 and team and an 8-4 and four team yeah. is what it amounts to, yeah. But I, the only reason I had this game in the toss-up, not even was De'Eric King, I'm not a Manny Diaz fan. Never have been, especially after that 2019 season where you go 6-7 and seven and you're losing to Duke and you're losing to FIU. It doesn't help, and I think people look at this. And Miami, for me, has always been one of those programs that's maybe a little bit overrated. Um, Guess what? It's easy when you play in the Coastal Division. Maybe the worst division in all of Power 5. It's easier to play Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech and Virginia and Pittsburgh and Duke than playing Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan and Indiana and all those teams. Oh, for sure. So I do think their record's inflated a little bit. Like, you give me the Miami team last year, you put them in the East, I think they're maybe a 6-16. Six and 16. Well, so, not last year, but I, your well, I mean, point. they were eight and what were they? Well, I just meant last year, the Big Ten didn't play a full season last, well, yeah, but you know, ACC did, you, but you know point I mean, taken. Yeah. Yes, but they lost. This is a decent Miami team. You go eight and three last season, seven and two before losing to Oklahoma State in the Cheez It Bowl. That was a high scoring game. If there ever was one, I think it was like 37, 34 or something, but love the Cheez It Bowl. I don't know. I, I remember when I was a kid once and somebody told me I was allergic to Cheez-Its and I remember being in preschool. I just You're started downing like three boxes. Yeah. Oh, milk. Oh, I just started downing. Like, I'm like, oh, I was under the impression that in order to be allergic to something like the moment you ate it and ingested it, you would just like explode. <laughs> I'm like, oh, haha, I know more than the doctors. We're five seconds in after me eating this thing of Cheez-Its and I feel great. 20 minutes later, don't want to talk about it. Was well, not a <laughs> pretty sight, but. I, you win this game and the juice is back from L Tucker. You're three and all. Doesn't matter how you got to three and all. That's two power five teams you beat. And then you have Nebraska coming in, who I think is going to be demoralized because I think what's going to happen in Norman is not going to be pretty. Night game at Spartan Stadium too. Exactly. Which I will unfortunately not be on the air for because my granddad's turning 80. But either way, that's a game you should beat. Nebraska's not a good football team. And you said Western Kentucky. Better actually went door to door with... Army before losing 38 to 35. But again, that's a night Western game. Kentucky solid though. That's homecoming. They're solid, but it's a game you should win. Oh, but yes, if you yes. don't, if you play like Miami did, you're going to have exactly what happened. Cause app state, like Western Kentucky, similar thing for me. Agreed. Decent 
group of five schools. Amp State's a good eight, nine win team, Sunbelt school. You don't do that. You're going to go into the fourth quarter and it's going to be a tie game. Yeah. But I think, you know, top down, if Michigan State takes care of business, because right, let's be honest, the first two weeks, they've looked like the better team. They have. Oh, yeah. But you win this game, there's a very real chance you're going to Indiana 5-0. and and then you have that tough stretch where you have well, to go. Rutgers, no, it's Rutgers, it's Rutgers and then Indiana. Then you have the week off. Then you're playing Michigan at the Big House. Then That's I think here. you go down to Purdue. That's here, the Michigan game. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah, it's here yeah. this year because they it got mixed up with the um, oh, Big yeah. Ten. I remember flips. wondering about that. Yeah, you're so, right. yeah, it's uh, it's here this year. But um, like this game's a segue into the next three games. If you lay an egg and you just look like you know deer in the headlights. That could carry over to Nebraska. That could carry over to Western Kentucky. So this game for me is a springboard for the rest of the season. It really is. Because it's a primetime game because good football teams and good football programs win these kind of games. Michigan State under Mark D'Antonio won these kind of games during the height. Didn't matter how they won those games. No, I don't. If it's a three to two win or a two to nothing win or a. It's Big Ten. It's got to be two nothing. Yes. Win. All you have to do, my old coach Joe Polka used to tell me, you have to win by one. Doesn't matter how you get there. It can be as pretty as a dead deer on the side of the road. You just have to win the bloody game. But we're going to get into the pickup now. All right, um, let's get it. Been looking forward to this. Northern Illinois. Fighting Rocky Lombardi. 27 point underdogs at the big house. Huge line. Michigan wins, they do not cover. Too many points. Michigan at times. That one offensive drive. What were they? The, like the Washington one, run the ball four times in a row, get stuffed every time. Michigan, I don't know, is, is capable of blowing out anybody. Like they're always going to do something inexplicably stupid to not blow out anybody. It doesn't really matter who they play. They will not blow them out. That was a bad Washington team, and they still, I mean, you you won by 21, but for, for a little while going into the third quarter, it was a relatively competitive game. I got to go with the Illini here to cover. I cannot, in good conscience, pick Michigan to beat anybody by 28 unless it's Barbara Scotia. And then you have the Rocky Lombardi factor. If he goes in there and wins again, they're going to build a statue of him. You're going to tear down the magic statue or move, move the magic statue somewhere else and then put the Rocky Lombardi statue in the north end zone. Yeah, um, I'd love to see it. It's not going to happen. Michigan covers. Uh, four touchdowns? Four touchdowns. Um, they beat Georgia Tech two weeks ago. Yeah, and they can score. But I just, athletes-wise, there's no one on Northern Illinois that's going to stay with Blake Corum. He's too fast. There's nobody on Northern Illinois that's going to be able to block Aiden Hutchinson. And... There's just too much in terms of athletes, and I'm going to take Michigan to cover. You're fired. I'm <laughs> kidding. No, uh, and this is a good one, and this one is tough for me. Cincinnati goes to Memorial, and I'm going to go with Indiana to win. I like what Luke Fickle's done at Cincinnati. Cincinnati's always a good, I guess now I guess you can call them a Power 5 team because they're going to be factored into the Big 12 here in a little bit, but... Indiana's angry, man. Memorial's one of the toughest to play in all of college football, and this is a game where I still think they're sore from losing to Iowa. Make no mistake, Indiana's a damn good football team. Everybody gets run out of the stadium in Iowa. Michigan State does it. Michigan does it. Ohio State's done it in the past. I think this is the first game Indiana's going to have a chance to reprove themselves. You killed Idaho. Congratulations. Nobody cares about Idaho. I mean, unless you're like a potato farmer or something, but <laughs> I think they're angry. I think they're really angry. Tom Allen's one of the best coaches in all of college football. I got the Hoosiers winning this one. All right, Stearns, this is separation week for us. I'm taking Cincinnati here. Um, I like Indiana. I was really high on it. Anybody that talked to me before the season, I was really high on Indiana. Michael Penix doesn't look right right now. And even against Idaho, he didn't look right. He wasn't that good. Um, I'm going to take Cincinnati. This is Cincinnati has a two-week stretch. They're here, then they play Notre Dame, where they give themselves a chance to potentially make the playoff as a group of five school. Give me Cincinnati here on the road. Here's one, the battle of the two teams that I can't stand, Purdue Trettles. What do you Notre have against Dame. Purdue? What? What do you have against Purdue? A couple things. One, their, camp, their campus atmosphere is about as interesting as my right toenail. <laughs> We've done a couple of women's basketball broadcast games, and it's like driving through Nebraska. 
and then you just like fall on top of the campus. We're headed well, down there in a few weeks. Aren't I we? know. Yeah, but it's like, where, wait, where, where are we? Are we on the right road? We're on Indiana Route State something. Uh, where are we? Oh, here's West Lafayette. Just pops up out of nowhere. And Boiler, what's the name of their man? The it's Boiler Makers. The boiler, oh, their mascot? Yeah, that the creepy little gremlin <laughs> that wears, like, that plastic mask. Like, it is so creepy. Oh, that's it is great. so creepy. Like, I, I think his name's Boiler Pete, and I, I'm probably wrong. Pete sounds right. No, I don't Boiler know it... Pete, it is Boiler Pete. Okay. Look at this gremlin. Look at this from 50 years ago. Yeah, you guys, look up look up Boiler this Pete. This looks Google like him. something out of a bleeping horror movie. Like, oh, it looks my like goodness. Chucky on steroids. The black and white. We need, can that be our, like, uh, can that be our tweet with the picture, with the episode? It what? needs to be. Boiler Pete. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, I don't <laughs> care. I just, not, I, I don't know. I, and Purdue's such a sleepy team. You never can get a read on them. They're, it's always one week they're good, one week they're bad, then they automatically manage to choke their way to five wins. Jeff Brom's had some flashes of being decent there as a coach, but, oh boy, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to pick Notre Dame. You, there's got to be a week where they wake up. There just has to be. I can't imagine Brian Kelly, as much as I hate saying it, even though he killed a kid, is <laughs> too good of a coach to for his team to fall three weeks in a row. I'm not. Uh, I'm not a big Purdue guy, just because they never seem to play partic- They never seem to play particularly good, but always seem to win games they really shouldn't. But regardless of the fact, I got to go with the Irish here. I think they're going to be too angry. I think Brian Kelly's too good of a coach. And in South Bend, it's too, it's too much for Purdue to overcome. Yeah, I'm I'm going to take the Irish as well. Um, I think that Notre Dame has not been playing well, but they're still the much ta- much more talented team. Um, and all they got to do is cover a seven-point spread. I think they can do that against Purdue. Did you see me get in that little Brian Kelly dig right yeah, there? Yeah, I did. Like, he, he, and that's the argument I've gotten in is, oh, no. Yeah, he did. Like, it, 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 it's a really sad story when the, for those of you who don't know, because a, a lot of people say, you know, don't really know the circumstances. What ended up happening was, if you've ever played football, you have a guy who... I will be honest with you. When you made that comment, I definitely thought you were talking about the executed uh, No, joke, no, no, no. The, but the, I do know what you're talking about now, yes. Long story short... If you've ever played football, what happens is, like, when even when I played for Celine, you practice on a grass field, and then you have someone will be up on, like, a scaffolding tower 30, 35 feet because they want to film the overhead view of practice. In that specific week, it was cold, it was rainy. They had some kid, I don't, I don't know his exact name, but he was a GA or something, one of the video guys, like, who works with Creative Services, and he goes up on the lift and tells the staff, you know, I, I don't feel safe doing this. I don't really feel safe going up here and at that that day in south bend i i don't they had winds at least 40 50 miles an hour mm-hmm. and why brian kelly walked out there and he even admitted after the fact it's my decision whether we practice indoor or out why it didn't dawn on him you know what maybe i shouldn't have a kid in a in a flimsy scaffolding platform 30 feet above the ground i will never understand i mean he probably didn't whatever but at least there's some degree of negligence that you um that I think he kind of got swept under the rug. But, on to a happier note. Alabama, 14 and a half point favorites as they travel to the swamp to take on Florida. All the marquee games are going to be in Florida this week. And you know what? I have that effect on people. I'm going to Florida. The marquee magic seems to follow me wherever I go. Give me Alabama. I like Florida, I I just, th- these games have been close in the past, especially in the SEC championship, but I can't go against my one Cardinal rule. The only reason I'm picking Alabama is because whenever I don't pick against Alabama and the instances have been few and far between, I get burned. So I'm not going to get fooled again. Give me the Crimson Tide here to roll. Yeah, Bama wins. Uh, I'm not picking against Saban. Uh, there's no reason to. They've looked really, really good, and I will stick with that. All right, we get into the final two games of the slate. Just to update the standings through two weeks, I'm 6-3, and three, Zach 7-2, Aiden is 4-5. and five. But we will have a little bit of disparity after this week. And knowing how it probably Just, goes, you're going to get one right, I'll get one right, and we'll either be tied or... Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to text champion for his picks. Miami, eight-point favorites at Hard Rock. Oh. And 
See, this is what's so hard, because like you, I have no idea how this game's going to go. I can see three distinct scenarios. Michigan State throat punches Indiana, or Michigan State throat punches Miami, because at the end of the day, when Michigan State has been able to land the first punch, and they have to the last two weeks, the teams that they played have just kind of rolled over. Northwestern, give them credit, came back late, but a 7-0 lead quickly turned into a 21-0 lead. And when Miami got throat punched, Against Alabama, didn't have a response. They couldn't stop the bleeding. When Miami made mistakes against App State, you never saw a consistent string of good play. You saw some good plays here, some good plays there, a good drive, but you never saw a good quarter or a good quarter and a half. So I'm reluctantly going to pick Michigan State not only to cover but to win this game. I think it's going to be a big environment, but I'm not sure De'Aaron King's healthy. I've said that, and I've said that, and I've said that. And like you with Penix, I think there's something a little bit beneath the surface. And until Miami proves that they can go out and blow people out, I, I can't in good conscience pick Michigan State, or I can't in good conscience pick Miami. With that being said, I also think eight points is way too big of a line here. Whatever direction this game goes, it's going to be 24-20 Miami, 28 21 Michigan State, something like that. I don't see this game being a blowout. I see it being an ugly but good game. Yeah, so I'm actually glad that you put my uh, plus eight because that's what this opened at. Um, right now, I think it's six. And well, I didn't have time No, to you're check. good. No, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm glad that it, you did that because it makes my pick a lot easier. I'm taking Michigan State. I don't know that they'll win this game, but I do think they'll be at least within one touchdown. I think, And it's going to be an ugly game either way. At the end of the day, if... And, Mel Tucker, you know, the king of coach speak, as we always call him, didn't give us much of an update when it came to Drew Jordan or Drew Beasley in his media availability session. I'll bet my right pinky toe one of them is going to play, especially for those two guys who are grad. Jordan's the grad transfer and Beasley's in his final year of eligibility. You don't miss games like this. Yeah. End of story. You go there and you play even if your ankle's mangled up like a pretzel from Auntie Anne's. You find a way to play. <laughs> pretzel from Auntie Anne's. Love to see it. But I, I got to go Michigan State here. I think this is a game. The Spartans win, and even if they don't win, I can't imagine Miami beating them by eight at this point in the season. Not based on what I saw. And this is how all this stuff works. Of course, everything we say is conjecture, but based on just the two weeks' worth of evidence... I'm going Michigan State. The final game in our pick Nebraska, 22-and-a-half-point underdogs going to Norman to take on Oklahoma. Um, Can I pick Oklahoma by 40? You're going to hedge yourself there? Yeah. Add some points? I will give Nebraska credit. I thought they were going to lose to Buffalo, so and they looked much better. But there's a big difference between Buffalo and Spencer Rattler. There's a big difference between Buffalo and Norman. They're going to get brought down to earth really quickly. They have a little bit of confidence right now. See how much confidence you have a quarter and a half in when you're down 21 to nothing and people are ready to run Adrian Martinez out of town, out of Lincoln with pitchforks and the little, what is it, like the tiki torches. That's what I wanted. So, get, I, oh, give me Oklahoma. This is the easiest one of the game for me. So I, I really want to pick Nebraska here. Because I kind of envision a potentially a game like last year when Nebraska played Ohio State. Because I don't think that Oklahoma's defense is that great. And so I think you could see... They don't think your defense is that great, Sam. I'm sure they don't. But the good thing is I'm not <laughs> no a football context. team. They are. But uh, I think that I think that Oklahoma's going to cover this game. Partially just because I already picked Nebraska once this season. And it very much so backfired on me. Um, when I picked them to beat Illinois and cover... And that did not go well. But in the end, I'm going to take Oklahoma. But I will let you all know, don't be surprised if Nebraska uh, covers here. I just don't have the guts to pull the trigger at the moment. That will do it for this week's episode of SRZ. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I'm the man behind the mic, Nathan Sturds, joined alongside by Zach Sturdnick. Aiden Champion should be returning next week. Michigan State set to take on Miami in Miami. Taking our talents to South Beach. Maybe that's what I should title the episode. I don't know. That's not a cliche, to. though. Uh, I was going to, as soon as you said something about going down to Miami, I was going to get it up here. and Or before you said it, I was getting ready to do the old ESPN LeBron James, the decision. Like to announce, I'm 
taking my talents to South Beach. You know what? I actually went to Kohl's a couple days ago. You know, like those like festive, like red, like flower shirts they have. I got one of those. So I can look like one of those 65 year old Hawaiian grandpas drinking a glass of Chardonnay and (laughs) having a Toblerone on the beach. On the plane at six in the morning on Friday? Yeah, no, that's. uh... (laughs) You know, I was talking to the guys for the state news, and this is kind of interesting. They don't land. So they're on the opposite end of the spectrum. They're going Lansing to O'Hare and then down to Miami like us. They don't land in Miami until about 930 at night. Ooh, when do we get there? Like two in the afternoon? No, like noon. Oh. Check out's not till three, so we're going to have three hours to burn. I mean, um, it's Miami. Then they leave Sunday morning, like at 9 a.m. Sunday morning. Oh, we don't leave till like late afternoon, right? Like three or four, yeah. We don't get back at night, so... It's just going to be, these things are always weird. You know, I, I still got to print out all the boarding passes and everything. I don't like being an adult. Like, I like the days when your mom would print out your boarding pass. Here you go, honey. Just don't act like an idiot in front of TSA. You, it's like, I don't no. think you'd need a boarding pass anymore, though. I think you could do it on your phone for most no, places. No, I know. I just like printing them out. I'm old-fashioned ah, like that. Love to see it. I like I like the paper or whatever. And, and some things I am old-fashioned because my phone's also a piece of garbage. Did you get a new phone? Yeah, well, I mean, this is the, I'm not going to elaborate, but the the Joe Dandron story I told you when I magically lost my pair of pants, um, I bought this one after I thought I lost my old one, Ah. and then he found it two weeks later in a block of ice, like, like, iPhones are something else, Yeah. but, uh, anyways, I don't think anybody, you know, really wants to hear that story because it's not it's not for suitable ears, but as always, thank you guys for tuning in, I'm your man Nathan Stearns, we will be Back behind the mic next week to recap all things Michigan State football. Have a great night.